Hey guys, welcome to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Allen. Yes! You know, this podcast is dedicated to bringing honest, authentic conversations so that you can have a healthy, happy, healthy, juicy love life. Here's Crazy Juicy Love. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. I am super excited. <laughs> laughing, I'm ready. Uh, to introduce my guest, Katie Crimes. Hey, girl. Hello. I was laughing because you guys couldn't see it, but he like sat up straighter. He had like the biggest smile on his face just when he started saying Crazy Juicy Love. And I was like, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was awesome. I was like, I just, you bring the energy. I, I just love saying that and I think I, I'm, I'll give a short brief behind the whole crazy juicy love and I was getting my certification um, at Catherine Woodward Thomas of Calling in the One and she was coaching this woman um, we got we got an opportunity to be in her her, uh, her 49 days of love course for free as a coach before we jump into the coaching program and so she was coaching someone and she was saying to the woman she said you know don't you want you know something juicy and and like and I was like oh I just noticed how I felt even when I say it I was like I just wrote it down like juicy and I didn't know what I was gonna do with it and but I was like that's what I want and Mm then a a week later a friend of mine was like you should create a podcast and I was like what am I gonna call it and I just I saw the word I was like oh juicy crazy juicy I just started playing with words and then Crazy. That is so funny. My my story was similar because my podcast is anything for love. And, you know, when you're creating something like this, you're like, the words have meaning, right? right. You're like, I want it to mean something that I get as excited and have a big boisterous, like crazy juicy love. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm like praying and I'm like, can you please just send me a sign? And, you know, and I'm like, go to grab a pen and that my friend had just given me. And I go to grab the pen and I go to write a couple things down and I look at the side of the pen and it said anything for love. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> I love There's, stuff I mean, like that. That is it. That is, right. that is, I mean, this is why I do what I do. This is why you do what you do. Right. It's literally anything for love. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, isn't that fascinating? So tell people who you are, what do you do, who do you serve? Yes. So I'm Katie Grimes and I am essentially a life coach, but I really focus in on a term that I coined called sober dating. And I help people take time off from dating so that they can get really good at love. It's it's an international brand and I serve both men and women, just people who identify as men and women as well. So um, I find that a lot of the community that I work with, high achievers, you know, recovering perfectionists, who really just are like, okay, wait, I've got this all going on in other aspects of my life and successful career, money, et cetera. Yet this is like the one aspect of my life that just seems like they're bringing in either toxic relationships or people who just aren't their equal. And they're like, what the heck am I doing wrong? So I really try to help people. Again, I've got people who aren't taking time off and are actively dating, but I really encourage people to go through my program and you know, are kind of at that place where they just want to focus on themselves. They're feeling pretty fed up with the way things are going around love. And they're like, yeah, I'm cool with taking a couple weeks off. Let's look at my shit. Let's find out why I'm attracting these people. 
and then let's get back out there. Now I have some clients, Jimmy, and you'll understand this too, that are like, yeah, I'm not ready to date. I'm good. I just want to like stay uh-huh. in this little bubble. So my job is to really help build their confidence so that they can eventually get back out there. Cause I'm a big believer. We were put on this earth to love and to be loved. And so everybody's got their time where they get ready, ready to get out there and start dating and let somebody back into their lives, you know? Yeah. To let love in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a firm believer in that too. Like the more and more in depth and things that I've read with different psychologists and like I'm starting to get um, read more Wayne Dyer and I love the stuff that Oprah and Deepak and Gary Zukoff and and a, and even I don't read the Bible, but G, like Jesus teachings and stuff like that. Or our main purpose is to be the source of love yeah. and just so happen along the way all these things happen to us in life that sort of block us and it's finding our way back to that totally. you know and um and actually posted this today um reading a wayne dyer book with luth towels um he was saying you know let um let love unfold um because he said, you know, if you, you, when you're stuck in love, like look to nature, nature is not forcing or trying to change anything. Nature just unfolding and, and, and it's the ebb and flow of how everything works together. It's human beings that are <laughs> trying to probe and force and, and, you know, with all our traumas, all these things that we sort of manipulate and do whatever we do. Um, yeah, the pressure. To, and the pressure, right. So, you know, going back to uh, sober dating, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on because I really love that. I already meet a lot of uh, sober dating coaches and, you know, had somebody, I have a friend of mine who's in sobriety, you know, and then one of the the first things she would say, you're not supposed to date when you start to become sober. So is that, so so talk to me about that because I know you had your own journey. Well, talk to me about your own journey becoming a, a sober, becoming sober and becoming a coach. Yeah, so the journey started back in, Well, 2015 is when I realized that I was addicted to love. But let me go back a little further, which was, you know, five years prior to that, I'm in a relationship that's straight out of a Lifetime special movie. You know, we two of us come together. The love is, you know, instant. And it's there's a lot of chemical, you know, right off the bat, there was a lot of chemistry and a lot of connection. (laughs) Right. And you think that it's love. Intense. Uh, I mean, the sex is amazing. The energy is mm. amazing. You, every place you go, it's like you're walking on cloud nine. And I had this misconception that that was love. But if I really looked at the red flags that were there, they were there. It was the cheating. It was his own addiction with um, love and sex as well as alcohol. And what's the misconception with alcohol or just drugs in general, any addiction, is most people think you have to be doing it compulsively all day, every day. And therefore, that constitutes an alcoholic or an addict for that matter. And it doesn't, uh, you know, I dated somebody who didn't drink a lot, but when he would drink, he was a blast. He was so much fun. It was when he didn't drink that made him, uh, you know, yeah. selfish, dishonest, things like that. So I started realizing that there was a similarity between my mom and he, meaning that she was an alcoholic. She was also suffering from love addiction. I didn't know the names to call it at that time. I just knew that I was surrounding myself with people who didn't make me feel good. Fast forward, I get into a group called Al-Anon, which is a 12-step community to really help me understand like, oh, maybe there's something to this. I'm constantly surrounding my pe- myself with people who say one thing and do another and then tell me that what I'm thinking and feeling is not actually what I'm thinking and feeling. And so I remember my dad said to me, Jimmy, he said, you know, you're going to open this door and you might not like what you see on the other side of it. And I said, dad, my life depends on it. Because at that mm. point, I was 
depressed, I was anxious, and I was suicidal, meaning that I was having like suicidal tendencies. I was thinking life would be easier if I just wasn't here because the mm. amount of pain and discomfort that I was experiencing was so overwhelming. Um, and but on the outside, Jimmy, I mean, my hair was done, my nails were done. As Jake, as Drake says, everything was done. Like I looked <laughs> fine. She loves a hair pop, y'all. <laughs> oh, I love a hair pop. Um, love. My my friends always laugh. They're like, "Where were you born?" I was like, "I'm not sure, but it was amazing." Um, and so my mom's like, "My mom, I'm like, mom, what were you playing? Were you playing some Run DMC back in the day when I was born? Like, what's going on?" Um, but I just feel like that journey of really going through Al-Anon, constantly blaming other people for their behavior, allowed me to get in close with a sponsor, somebody who had more experience, strength, and hope than I did, and started teaching me, hey, instead of putting the blame on other people, let's look back at the thoughts you're having that are causing you to think that other people are like out to get you or out to serve you. Anytime I felt disrespectful, uh, or feeling as if people were being disrespectful, really underneath that is anger, but really underneath that is sadness, really looking at my own stuff. Mm. And fast forward five years later, I got into a relationship, I had ended one relationship, got into a relationship with a married man, and as a Catholic, I or grow, grew up Catholic, I consider myself more spiritual now, is I was like, that's a sin. Like, I would never do that. Like, what am I doing? But I had already done it a couple times before. And I was con I was obsessed. I was like constantly looking at how can I spend more time with him? What friends could I call to get around him? Because he's we're not he's not like wow. hitting me up afterwards. <laughs> and I just found myself manipulative, selfish, dishonest, and all of a sudden the light bulb went off. I was like, wait a minute, selfish, dishonest, and manipulative are the same characteristics of what my mom and my my then boyfriend years ago was was experiencing shit maybe I'm an addict right so yeah. then my friend said to me you know there's a program out there that is focused on sex and love I think you should go to this 12-step recovery meeting um, which for those of you who don't know it's uh, sex and love addicts anonymous Tiger Woods I think really put that name on the map um, because of everything that had happened with him all those years ago and I really had this misconception Jimmy that that in order to be a sex addict, I had to be cheating all the time. I had to be hiring prostitutes or whatever else. And that wasn't the case for me. That is true for some of the fellows in that program, but it wasn't for me. But I just wanted to be loved. I mean, that was it. I just like everything I said, everything I did, what I wore, who, the thoughts I thought, everything was focused in on being loved and feeling validated by uh, friends, family, coworkers. And one failed relationship after another, be it with friends, family, or coworkers, or lovers, made me realize that I really needed to get help. And so I took a year and a half off from dating, not easily, but mind you, I white knuckled it the entire time, but I did it with a group of people. I did it with somebody, a coach and a mentor who had more experience, strength, and hope than I did. And then from there, slowly I became, and you'll recognize this language, more of an anxious attachment style and started to become more secure. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't looking to attract the kind of people that would hurt me. And what I realized is I started to hear this term called sober dating. Okay, you similar like that in AA, you take a year off from dating and then you get back out here. But the problem was, Jimmy, is that nobody was teaching me how to do it because all the people around me were married or already in relationships and didn't have the experience of 
meeting someone new or going on a dating app. And I was like, really piecemealing it together. Like, I'm going to call that coach. I'm going to call this sponsor. I'm going to call this fellow. I'm yeah. going to call this friend. And really trying to piecemeal like everything to feel like, oh, well, if I just do what they do, then maybe it'll be better. And I can't tell you how many times I slipped and fell, like either like hooking up with someone or just finding that I just felt so lost and disconnected. So was sex off the table? Like you wasn't hooking up, it was just like, just you yourself, yeah. being yourself, wow. Yeah, and even masturbation was off the table for wow. a period of time. Yeah, so it, and the purpose of that um, was to really connect back to self. So you know, rather than self-soothing through masturbation or sex and that release. It's so funny you say that because I did that challenge. It was like a challenge. Actually, I think it was Mass and Kip had put a 30-day challenge of um, self, it was like a self-love kind of like thing. It was like no mm. masturbation, no porn, no no sexual movies, no lyrics. It was nothing. It was, it was, which is hot. It was Which rough. I did the same thing. <laughs> it was rough. Because it's everywhere. And you know I love the hip hop. So right. like every hip hop song was like ratted on that pole. And I'm like, oh God, I can't, you know? But it really taught me a lot about my wanting and needing and hunger and that I was actually using sex to validate like just being wanted. And yeah. um and that it was sort of, and especially me as a gay man, to be have these apps and stuff like that, like how much I was on it, how much it was taking up my time, and how much I would waste time. And it's like, oh my God, I'm like, here I am spending two hours trying to find somebody to do it, and I could have been using that time, you know, like always on the hunt. And I don't think that people realize how much on that hunt and that craving really hinders our ability to really start to identify um, love and because um, we're always even like when I used to go on dates I can sit I can tell from the person who's even sometimes I was like that too they're on the hunt while we're on the date and it's like mm -hmm. uh, like you, you, you're not you don't even see me because right you can just I used to call them chippy eyes because you can <laughs> right, see them they're like right. do, 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 scan in the room and I'm like I'm right right here, here right <laughs> it's like, and so eventually <laughs> as I got more secure I'd be like who are you right, looking you're, for, for right. your date's right here right yeah you know and so when I start to get very clear i was like oh i need to really do some deep work on myself and like why do i need this where's this coming from and i love what you're saying it's like you know um i guess i guess i was sober sober dater, dating and like really looking mm -hmm. at like why do i feel that i need this yeah like and you know, I remember being, I don't know why this brain comes up for me, this guy who I knew from the very beginning that it wasn't going to work out. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to test this out. I mean, like, mm -hmm. you know, go on a date with him. And it was very sexual from the very beginning. He sent me a video of him masturbating while we were on the date. And mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, I could just easily go home and have sex with him. I'm sure he's going to ask. And he did. And I was yeah. like, is that like, th that's not what you're here for. I had to really check myself. And, well said. and 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 it took real courage because it's like as a man i think most men want you just like well at least because i used to be like well at least i got some out of this and i was like well yes oh yeah <laughs> that's like, hitting well, home with me and i was like well that's not what you're standing for that's not what your commitment is and that's when i was my starting my journey of like what it is that i want because if i want to shift my love life i have to start taking a stand for what i want and and I said, 
no to him. And he got upset with me. And I was just like, like, <laughs> I was like, whatever, you know. Um, but I love this journey that you take on and, um, with people because it can be hard and people don't realize they're attacking style. They're needing, they're wanting and will do anything for it. And it's like, and it takes, it takes <laughs> A lot, you know. It takes a lot of trust too. I mean, I think you, I had a flashback as you were talking about that because <laughs> I remember before I got sober from love. Um, and so, yes, I am sober from alcohol. Drugs was never my thing, but like, so when I'm referring to sobriety throughout this podcast, I'm referring to sober from love, okay? Uh, but before I got sober from love, I remember an instance where I went to this wedding and I hooked up with this guy who I had been like, got, I just wanted to hook up with him so bad. And the whole night was a clusterfuck. Like he was trying to hook up with somebody else because I had wronged him before and yada, yada, yada. We ended up hooking up together. And I remember I called my best friend the next day and I was like, oh, I, I hooked up with so-and-so. And he's like, yeah, I heard, he already told me. And I said, um, I said, well, at least I got something like, or something like that. Like I, at least I got what I wanted, Jimmy. That's what I said. And I remember I always had this attitude that I would try to have sex, quote unquote, like a man. At least that's the that's the uh, image or that's the way that I used to say it. Meaning that because the guys I was hooking up with Jimmy were like, love them and leave them kind. They weren't really there for the long haul. So I was portraying that kind of behavior. And so I was just hoping that if I slept with one person after another, or if I hooked up or if I flirted or whatever, that one of them would stick. And don't get me wrong, there were a few that stuck. I, I, you know? I used to think that way too. Oh my God, like hopefully this hooking up, at least somebody would stick. And it's like, no, it never ever. So maybe it's rare, but it, 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 didn't, well, it didn't work for me. Right, because what ended up happening is we'd have instant chemistry right off the bat. I'd confuse it with actual connection. Right. I would try to tell them, I try to tell them intimate details about my life or growing up that would bring us somehow closer, closer to each other or not have sex with a condom. And that thinking that that would create intimacy. I think I've, hear, I've heard a lot of women say that yeah. actually, that they feel like without a condom, it brings a sense of intimacy. Um, and so I would hope that that would, like I said, make it stick. Then I'd, I'd realize as I got to know them better and better, and it was usually around the year mark that I was like, oh shit, like we're not aligned on a couple of things. I feel yes. like something's missing. And so I would often break that, break up with them or leave them before they leave me and then, and then try to get into the next. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be, I'd already be texting somebody from the background or someone in the future, you know, that I met. And what I found was really underneath this quote unquote, having sex like a man where I sort of would love him and leave him, like I said earlier, was really this fear that if fear of intimacy, like if you truly got to know me, then you would leave me. Right. And that stemmed from growing up in an alcoholic home and, and that of just growing up in dysfunction, right? I had two parents who were divorced. My, my very first memory is my dad leaving the house and then really trying to understand why is it that mom and dad are fighting all the time and why are they you know why is why are they crying why are they acting lovely to me and then in one breath they're they're raging i don't understand this and so i then was bullied a lot as a child which i think was a symptom right of growing up in dysfunction is expecting that kind of behavior from people 
who were friends or even family members. Yeah. And I was trying to make sense of something that made no sense. Now, when I shared with you earlier that I, I decided to open the door of like, why am I attracting these kinds of people? Why do I feel so unfulfilled in my life? The more that I looked into the family dynamics, the more I realized like, oh, shit. I've got this one doing drugs all the time. I got this one drink, can't put a drink down to save her life. This one is constantly working. When you looked at the family tree, everybody had something. And mm. so it made me realize like, oh, I'm simply a product of my environment. I'm, I've simply grown up with two grandparents who grew up in the depression. And then all of that scarcity and that lack and that gossip and the criticism and the laughter and the fun it's all meshed up in there but that for me caused me to take a closer examination of like oh this is why I am the way that I am I don't need to blame or shame myself or anyone else I get to look in look deeper at that and that's why I said I I decided to say okay I'm going to actually start teaching other people how to sober date I'm going to teach them how to become more secure in their love lives And it really stemmed from this idea of all these fellows calling in this 12-step program to talk, then realizing I couldn't keep up with the amount of calls that were coming in. Fast forward to getting fired from my job because I was the victim of a crime and I just couldn't work, that I then laid on the beach that day like crying, going, what am I meant to do on this earth? And I realized that I'm meant to help people feel happier and more fulfilled. And that took another branch of me then going in deeper and going, why don't I teach people how to be more secure in their love life so that they don't feel like they're addicted to love? They don't have, they don't feel like they have to do anything when it comes to love, but instead they can really teach themselves how to be their own best friends, really learn to love and accept themselves. While also, mm-hmm. notice I didn't say then, like <laughs> you don't have to love yourself, be 100% and then you can go date somebody. No, my clients are actively dating while they're learning to love themselves. Like I, I yeah. think it doesn't have to be in either or. Because your 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 life is happening and things happen and you're constantly learning to, you know, every relationship is teaching you how to love yourself or what your triggers are. And like going back to the whole sex thing. And one thing I know, learned for sure about, you know, when you're having sex and hooking up right away, like you, you lose sight of what, like, why you're dating this person. 100%. And you, because I remember, I remember my first relationship. I didn't even vet this person. I didn't ask the right questions. I wasn't even. I was just like happy just to be with someone, and we were having mm-hmm. sex. And I was just like, and then a year or two into, I think until we broke up four years later, and I started doing the work, and I was like, oh my goodness, like all the signs were right there. I was just so, I was just happy to be having regular sex, and I was just happy yeah. to be with somebody, and I was just like wait oh my god like I totally totally miss all those things and I remember this one moment um when we first started we I don't think we weren't having sex yet but we were we were we were talking and he wouldn't answer the phone like he would always text it was always about mm-hmm. texting and I was like I don't want a texting relationship and I was and that was a boundary that I for me, I know that I want, but I, I ignored that anyway. That's one one thing. Mm-hmm. And two, when we did get on the phone, he was like, you got five minutes. And literally, oh, yeah. hang up the phone in five minutes. Okay, bye, boom. And I was like, this is not, and I, I kind of just laughed at it, but mm-hmm. I didn't really realize, oh, this is control. 
I had no idea. And that's how the relationship was. How much control could he have in the relationship? And it was the biggest hurdle in the relationship because I was, I was just so, I mean, I ignored it because I was just happy to be having sex and to be with someone. Um, So talk to me, like, what are some of the signs that people think could be showing that they're addicted to love and how can they start to really shift that and become become conscious of that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, before I go into that, one of the, one of the things that you just mentioned, by the way, I just want to validate that I also have had that exact same experience where you're like, we, we go and do things. We look back on it now and go, oh my God, I can't believe I would do that. But there was very much this part of us that just wanted to be loved. And, and, and I liked what you talked about in terms of, you know, not vetting somebody. I've had that experience as well. And what I've now learned to understand that to be is a fantasy addiction, right? The, and what addiction is, all that addiction means to me, it's a compulsive need to do something to make you feel better, but it actually makes you feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And so the same with love addiction, right? It's a compulsive need to be loved or validated by someone else. We try to do all these things or say, say these things. And, but really it, after we do them, it doesn't make us feel good. Um, and it's funny, there's actually a sheet, Jimmy, I'm going to grab because I reference this a ton when it comes to, uh, love addiction, which is some of the characteristics. Um, and so I think it's important by the way, as I go back to fantasy addiction, that it's, it's imagine fantasy addiction is like, you're on a date with someone, you leave the date, you're fantasizing about how you think life would be like with them, but that person's still back on the first date and we're already like young. Well, a child, I, I'll be already like, that was, that was me. I would literally, oh my God, we have so much in common. It's so scary. And I remember the, the, the second person I dated, I remember the moment when I saw his picture online He's Italian, American. I was like, oh my God, I think this is the one. I've already had mm-hmm. married him before I even met this person. That, that's what. So that's- true. <laughs> so true. And you're like, I don't even know if he speaks English. Like, right. <laughs> like you know? Um, right. but, but some of the signs that I, that I highlighted here were like, do you get high from sex or love and then you crash? So what I describe high as is like, sort of that indoor, like that warm rush when you see a hot guy, like you see that Italian American guy and you're just like, ooh, oh, he's yeah. good looking. Oh, he's aw-. And then you get warm sensation that just sort of runs through your body and then you crash. You're like, oh, he didn't text me back. <laughs> like, I'm not good enough. Um, are you unable to stop seeing a specific person? Do you believe that someone can fix you? Um, have you ever had sex regardless of the consequences like STD getting, maybe they had another partner. Um, do you find that you have a pattern of repeating bad relationships? And do you feel like you're not really alive unless you're having sex or you're like in a relationship with someone or the last one I'll say is, have you ever tried to control how much sex you've had with someone? Yeah. Or at all. Yeah. Quite a few characteristics. That's, that's, I mean, sex and love addiction go hand in hand with each other because love is really about like the texting, the Facebook stalking, the mm-hmm. like what you're wearing for women if your boobs are pushed up, like the flirting, whatever. And sex is more obviously like porn, masturbation, prostitution, or just simply trying compulsively trying to have sex with someone or think about it or, or view it, whatever it may be. 
what are some of the first steps that someone could start taking to like push back on the beliefs on those beliefs and become sober in love and sober in yeah. sex and sober in dating like what a what is a step or two that someone can start taking now yeah the i think one of the common misconceptions is people think that there's actually something that they can individually do to stop doing this meaning like oh i can just not think that thought anymore i can just not go on the dating app my i would say the number one first thing to do is to find a coach a mentor a sponsor whatever it may be somebody who's already done this before mm-hmm. and i am not saying this as a shameless plug for either one of us <laughs> but like literally as a high achiever probably grossly independent fiercely independent re- you're likely the kind of person's like i could just figure this out on my own like i don't need any help i'm just gonna- no number one go to a therapist coach mentor sponsor 12 step recovery group anything that involves anybody but just you right that would be the number one thing is go listen talk whatever it may be so that you can actually hear other people's stories about the exact same thing that you're going through that is causing likely pain and discomfort and i know a lot of people who have already done that and they continue to do that and then now they're sort of at that next level where they're like okay i feel more secure but now i want to get back out there i would say the same thing applies is like even if you've taken time off even if you don't feel like all of these characteristics resonate with you it's really really crucial that you get support to go through this because the thoughts that you're having are ultimately what are going to cause you to either move you take action that moves you closer to yourself or further away right and here's the thing about like the coach and like getting a coach and having someone it's like for me it's like having a personal trainer they they're there to guide you and to see where you can grow get stronger your thoughts because honestly even as a coach having a coach helps me figure out where mm-hmm. i'm still weak the kind of the accountability that i need where i still need to work on they have exercises all these things that's going to grow me exponentially because you know it's you know even though i've done a lot of work on my own the biggest growth came when i had a coach that really called me out mm-hmm. <laughs> and she pulled up the mirror because that's what you know a coach or therapist is there to do is to really hold that mirror up and and to be honest like that mirror is uncomfortable as hell it is and imagine as you start revealing more stuff about yourself on your own imagine you start journaling and you're just like oh shit like you start looking at oh yeah that time i had right. sex with so and so in the on the hotel room you're like oh immediately what are you going to want to do you're likely going to want to reach out to them to apologize pump the brakes call your right. coach have a conversation cuz i think that there are times where you know it's really really crucial to self examine first before you then go and try right. to impact your life in any way shape or form and i agree i i too am a coach who has coaches um but i think too one of the things that's crucial for me jimmy is like i've already done this shit you've already done this shit like why go it took me 10 years to figure this out i don't want it to take the person that i'm working with 10 years right it should take less than half the time so it's like okay you could do it on your own keep reading those books keep doing whatever or you could actually just work with somebody who literally has already done this and who can give you tips, tools, tricks, strategies, etc that they've done and you can try it on for size. But right. you know as well as I know the biggest the biggest thing with a coach is they ask you questions that help you to determine 
what's the next course of action, you know? So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a common, it's a common thing that I have. Cause a lot, did you find this to be true for you? That sometimes we still fall into our independent habits of like, oh, like I gave a, a client a, a workbook the other day. I said, okay, I want you to, you know, make a list of all the people that you've either wanted to be intimate with or that you have been intimate with. And let's look at the patterns. Like who, how did they start? How did they end? Um, what characteristics that they have that you really loved? What were the ones that you didn't love so much? And sure as shit, she gets to one of them and she's like, oh, and and I'm, I don't realize this, but she then goes and she reaches out to her ex. And she texts me back. She's like, so I reached out to my, my ex-girlfriend and you know, I, I, I let her know that this came up for me in my journal. And I was like, whoa, honey, pump the brakes. Next time that happens, with all love and respect, do not reach out to them. Because an apology is only necessary when you've actually harmed someone and you're never going to do it again. But you don't know if you're going to do it again. Because like maybe there's something that I could have pulled out of you in terms of a question that would determine, did you act that way because of an old wound? Or is it something that you was reactive to that situation? And she's like, oh my God, I didn't even think of that. I was like, yeah pump the brakes on reaching out to anybody else when we do this. Right. And, and the purpose of that to really look at those patterns too, it's like, okay, how are you causing that? What are the, the like, how are you attracting this person? Where, where does it stem from? Because sometimes those patterns comes from some old, like you said, some some childhood uh, childhood wound that you need to heal with mm-hmm. your father or your mother. It's not necessarily has to do with the ex. It has to do with something that you didn't get from the other person, you know, totally. and sometimes looking at the patterns also, you okay, you're looking at, because some people aren't even aware of their actions, how they're saying, how they're dressed, and so we're like breaking that down of like, this is how you're cultivating that. This is how you're mm-hmm. keeping this alive. You know, it's not to like, <laughs> to go back to the ex. I mean, I've recognized all my patterns from my ex. I don't think I've called them and told them about the, the pattern that I saw, but I did, you know, once when I saw this one pattern, I was like, oh shit, like this is, because I had already had worked it out with myself. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I want to make amends with you because I saw, because I never owned up to my part of the relationship. And I was yeah. in a place that I could now articulate that mm-hmm. and my new commitment to love and you and just to close this chapter between us but not work the pattern out while I'm discovering the pattern. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do it like, I always say like, there's a step-by-step process like that of what you described your friend was going through and what I did is 12-step recovery. Like it's a step-by-step process. So like it gives you the ability to reflect, take some time to let the temperature go down from a boil to a simmer. And I mean, a big part of what I teach is really identifying what uncomfortable emotions are coming up, where are they coming from? And then how do you change the thoughts so that you can let yourself off the hook a little bit and say, listen, I did the best that I could during that time. And now, and that's why I think it's so crucial to me to take time off from dating and really be able to, and I think so many of us are, are taking time off from dating to focus on ourselves so that we can attract the right person into our lives. Because, yeah, and also going back to the patterns, like what I've learned is like sometimes, most of the time in that discovery, there are some skills that you need to learn or I need to learn that needs to be developed and not just in love, but with most likely with the people already in your life. Like, so mm-hmm. there are some, some learning, some growing that needs to happen. And that's, okay. that's where a coach comes in. Like we need, this is happening with 
your brother, your sister, your mother, your aunt, and this is your opportunity to work on this now, not wait till some person just show up and then you're gonna be this person. Well, so true. I mean, as you were just saying that about kind of mother, brother, I was thinking to myself, like the relation, before I got sober in love, the relationships that I was having pretty consistently were, were almost identical to the relationship that I had with either my mom or my dad or some mm. family member. You know, I can kind of look back at my history and be like, oh yeah, he was very much like my mom or he was very much like my dad. You know, I dated one guy who actually reminded me so much of my father that it gave me the ability to heal that relationship with my wow. dad, which was really a beautiful gift that 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 relationship gave me. But I think too that I, I just shared that with a client recently and she said, oh my God, that's why I'm constantly doing things for my ex because I, I like want his approval. I want to mm. be validated by them. I, she goes, that's the same way I show up for my mom. Like I, like I feel bad that I want to take space for my mom, but in the same breath, I need to take space for my mom because the relationship we have isn't working. Hence why I broke up in my, you know, all of a sudden you just see her put the pieces together and she's like, Oh mm, shit, yeah. you know? And, um, and especially as the holidays come around, I think loneliness is, is, is striking a chord with some people and, and really being able to look at the fact that, you know, uh, this yoga instructor, Katie Mackin used to say to me, like, it's, you'll never leave yourself. You'll never feel abandoned because you'll never leave yourself. And I was like, yeah, that's really well said. Like, I'm not going to feel lonely right. and I don't have to feel lonely because I'm never going to leave myself. Right. And it's something that I really try to convey to other people as well is loneliness is just a feeling and it's created by a thought. So what thoughts are you thinking that are making you feel right. lonely? Yeah. Well, I so greatly appreciate it. I mean, I could probably talk to you for another know, hour. Like, um, but before we go, I have a, I always ask a couple of questions. Um, yeah. So what are you, what was your biggest lesson you learned when you became sober and that you passed mm -hmm. on to your clients? That is a great question and I've never been asked that. <laughs> the biggest lesson that I learned about when I became sober from love is that it's really kind of stems back from growing up in an alcoholic home and that if I truly can learn to, for, you know, not just forgive my parents, but forgive myself mm -hmm. and the ways that I behaved and I really try to create a sense of security within myself, make it safe to receive love, make it re safe to receive wealth, great friendships. Um, I'm really in control of that destiny. And I think the last thing I'll say about that too is also learning to trust God and mm -hmm. really believing that like, I'm put on this earth to love and to be loved and to share that message. Um, so if I can step into that truth, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to, to trust myself, God and other people. Wow. And what does a juicy love life looks like to you? Mm. A juicy love life looks like spending, having a balance between spending time alone and really learning to do, learning to get to know yourself and loving the things that you, and doing the things you love. But then having a partner who can share in those experiences with you. And the one word that came to mind was quirks. Somebody who loves you for your quirks, right? That you're like learning to love and accept each other 
because you do these things that are pretty silly because you do these things that are not that are pretty imperfect wow and last question where can people find you online yeah so three places first podcast anything for love the second is instagram kg.katiegrime and the third is you can hit me up on my website katiegrimes.com for anything around digital courses coaching and all that good stuff <laughs> well thank you so much katie this has been such a pleasure and, and like Same. i mean seriously we could we talk have, for hours i don't <laughs> and we have so much in common and similar situations wow um again thank you for being here and thank you for what you do because what you do has a real contribution to the world helping people sober up in love and dating consciously and thank you, i really appreciate it you're welcome Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. And if you really like this podcast, please share it. Twitter, Instagram, or on your webpage. Thank you. Crazy Juicy Love.